0: Hey, it's Simone Baptiste, the director of Sixteen Thousand Dollars, and you're listening to Studio Noise.
1: Yes, it's the noise. You know what the noise is, right? It's the sound of creation. When that brush hit the canvas, when that pencil hit that paper, that sound, that's expression. And right there, wherever you find that sound in the studio, you're going to find black folks in there making that noise, in there making all this good art that we love so much. And that's what we talk about right here on the Studio Noise Podcast. It is me, your boy Jay Barber. I'm a printmaker, grad student, professor of the arts. (laughs) I love it. Extreme art lover. So that's why I love giving you all these great contemporary art, black art conversations. And Studio Noise is supported by NBAF. NBAF has been supporting the arts for over 30 years, uh, giving out grants, having festivals, doing all the things that we need behind the scenes. We sure do appreciate and we appreciate them making this podcast possible. So, this year, the NBAF is doing something new. They're having the Art of Giving Benefit Banquet. It's a virtual event. Uh, and in that event, they'll be having their inaugural Horizon Awards, honoring people making incredible art in film and visual arts and music. And you know, Studio Noise committed to highlighting and archiving the voices of the contemporary black art world. And we're proud to bring you these conversations with the winners. Of the horizon awards and a few of the judges you know kick in just for good measure <laughs> and so it's always good to hear from these people that's doing big things the people that deserve this honor you know we like to hear from them uh as they're making this stuff so this is a special episode for you and you can go back and check out all the episodes of studio Noise. it's got 100 episodes so far we got a huge archive of people we talked to all the artists that you want to hear from uh all the big time names you know deborah robbers Bisa Butler, Alpha Conte, Charlie Palmer, all the greats. We talk to them all, but we also bring you a couple people that you may not know, right? That you need to know, you know, people that's here right here in Atlanta, like Eugene Byrd, like Melissa Alexander, like Natrice Miller, like all these, all these great names uh, out here making good art. And I think that's what we like and what we, what we want to support. So head on over to Studio Noise website at studionoisepodcast.com. Check us out on IG at studio noise podcast and by all means check out all the great work we've been doing over the last two years and it's all for you all the black art lovers out there this podcast you can come and learn about all your favorite artists and much much more we talk about so much we get into it the motivations inspirations to keep you going and that's the noise baby so on this episode we're talking to the winner of the horizon warden film miss simone baptiste she's a writer director producer uh and she's super funny so <laughs> so we definitely love it so right after break we coming right back at you with simone baptiste on the noise All right, it's your boy Jay Barber, Studio Noise back. This time we representing special episodes for the NBAF. They're having their Horizon Awards, and uh, they're giving our awards into I guess I guess they call you emerging. I don't know if you're really emerging or not, Simone.
0: <laughs> I'll I'll take it. You
1: know? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so we here um, and we representing. We're gonna get to know and talk to the Horizon Award in Film, a winner presented by Southern Gas Company. Uh we're talking to a director, writer, producer, Simone Baptiste, all the way on the West Coast. How you doing, girl? Hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. And so um, you know, on the show, we interview a lot of artists and a lot of different specialties. I don't know if we ever had anybody in the movies. You know what? I take that back. I take it back. We have had a writer in the movies, Sherry Day Scott. Uh she is writing her movie and making and producing. So she was the last person we talked about it. But you are a director and so you know i definitely definitely want to get into that part of business and like really break it down because you see like these terms thrown around i think we take for granted like what these people jobs really are like what do you do as a director right so Mm -hmm. i think we i think we should start right here right now talking about the new movie you got your short film sixteen thousand dollars uh why don't you tell us about that great
0: After 400 years, African-Americans will finally have reparations for slavery. Uh, yeah. Where's yours?
1: Surrey ancestors got ripped from Africa. They built this country and then they got whipped and shit for like hundreds of years. Yeah, and then they canceled UPN. This money is hope. This is diapers. This is formula. This is title passwords for us, man.
0: How many of us have had to suffer weird white nonsense in our communities? Thank you for coming in. Sock it to me. I believe that it is time that we sell white people our nonsense. Yeah, of course. Um, Sixteen thousand dollars. It's a narrative comedy short film about reparations. Um, and you know, we did not anticipate a year where the government was actually going to send checks to everyone.
1: <laughs> um, uh, Almost so right. When Almost. we were making
0: this film, yeah, when we were making this film, <laughs> it was pure fantasy. But now we see how easy it is for our government to truly just distribute a check. So uh, hopefully this will, you know, come to fruition in the future. But with this short film, we really wanted to highlight some of the downfalls of only asking for a check. Um, You know, we can ask for a lot more than just a check. We want that money too, so don't get me wrong. But I think that... um, when we talk about how long slavery was and then how, you know, many years since uh, the abolition of slavery and the domestic terrorism committed against the black community since then, you know, I see reparations as a hundreds of years kind of project, you know, we need to truly uplift the black community. Uh, And so we came upon this subject because during the 2020, you know, primary race for the democratic party, lots of candidates saying they're pro-reparation yeah, but they were they really yeah
1: trying to get that black <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly and so we we're a little bit fed up so myself um and Bertie reed one of the stars of the film and writers of the film and then ellington wells um also starring and uh, co-wrote we all kind of sat down and we we're like you know they really need to let the black community determine what we want reparations to look like because we're self-determined people. And so we just kind of did a a worst case scenario for reparations in this film, (laughs) showing you if the government really gave us the lowest amount that they possibly could give you, what would that do for you? And then also coming out of the film, you know, should we be asking for a lot more? And I think the answer is yes. But yeah, it was a good time making it. And we got to see a lifelong dream come to life because everyone talks about uh, reparations in the Black community, but have we ever seen what it would look like on screen?
1: Well, the trailer was hilarious. The one line, it was like, the the one lady at the end, she was like, I think it's time we sell white people our nonsense. (laughs) Like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I yeah Ellington um in the film she she wants to start her own business because she's sick and tired of, you know, white people opening up a hot yoga studio right. or you know, Pilates in their neighborhood. And so her plan <laughs> is to open up You know, something that is very nonsensical, selling white women like shrunken heads and gold dipped chicken (laughs) bones and stuff like that. And so that's, uh, you know, that's her MO. But we had a lot of fun with it. It's definitely uh, a film full of laughs and we feature lots and lots of comedians based in L.A. And so it was a good time on set.
1: Nice. So how long does it take you to make like a, a film like this, like a short film? How short is short?
0: I mean, this is long for a short film because typically um, lots of films that get programmed are under fifteen minutes. We pushed it a little bit with seventeen, um, but it's oh, hold on, 40. too much seventeen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like it's actually very difficult to tell a story in such a short amount of time, yeah. and that has a beginning, middle, and an end. <laughs> so we really like went for it and. <laughs> It took um 4 days which was super super fast. I think like uh if we had one more day maybe I wouldn't have had like two gray hairs coming out of this film. <laughs> so but I think I think we pulled it off um you know it was a lot of um it was fast paced it was very fast paced but we just made it work and I think because of all the talented people involved we were just able to get it done in that four days
1: so yeah no that's awesome so tell us about like what is the process of you coming on to the movie and how how did your job start as the director and getting stuff done
0: yeah i mean i um I just wanted to finally do something that I could claim as my own, because I have been directing and producing on a major network for years, um, doing behind the scenes kind of documentary style directing. And, I, you know, on the side, also, I was producing and booking stand up comedy shows in L.A., so... I, you know, hang out with a lot of comedians and have seen them grow. And, you know, I just was like, I need to highlight these people because they're so cool and so talented. Uh, So I basically decided I was like, I'm going to team up with a couple comedians and we'll make a film. And really, to me, it's like um, it's almost like a love letter to the L.A. comedy scene because we featured uh, as many people as humanly possible in a short (laughs) film. Uh, but I knew all of them ahead of time, so they trusted me because I had known them for years, booked them on my shows for years, and so it was just a natural fit. So, you know, comedy directing, um, it's not easy unless you really do understand comedy and how the comedy scene works and who to cast in your films, and so... It just seemed like a natural progression for me so i i cast the people because i knew their stand-up sets <laughs> i was like i know they'll bring something cool right, to the yeah. table. yeah you're on it yeah. was funny exactly so yeah it didn't take much searching i just hit up all the people that i knew who were super funny um <laughs> they punched up the jokes with comedy you want to try um many many jokes like you don't want to just stick to the script you definitely have people who can come and improvise and add cold jokes into the script um, on the fly and only stand ups really know how to do that
1: you know yeah so yeah that's super nice so as you as you're getting into it and you come in you bring in your people so in four days is it just straight madness that you're in control of uh telling people yes. where to go telling people what to do but by this time you like already done storyboards and stuff
0: yeah, um, basically, um, I had an excellent director of photography hop onto this project. His name is Solomon Turner. Um, and we worked for, you know, like we worked tirelessly for like a whole month, just coming up with the shot list, storyboarding. We were meeting up in cafes in Koreatown in L.A. and just trying to get it done. Oh, yeah. because, um, it was on a short time frame, even for our pre-production. And so we were just in constant communication. Um, But yeah, we, we, you know, with short films, you basically can't film everything you want to film. You know, I knew I had all these talented people, but limited time, limited resources. So we had to make some um, editorial choices and make sure that we were getting the best um, outcome at the end, even though I could have, you know, filmed another five hours of these people. (laughs) They were really funny. Um, So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when you when you do like approach something like this, like do you you don't already have a vision of what it is or is it more impromptu? I think that's what you're describing. It's just like y'all getting together on set and vibing out.
0: It's it's both. I think um, we try to make it look easy, but um, there is a (laughs) lot of (laughs) process that goes into it. Uh, We had many versions of the script. We did rehearsals with the talent. Um, Right. Yeah. But. You know as a director, it's my job to make people shine in the best light that they can and so I trusted the um actors slash comedians that I brought into the project to really you know make each role their own. They weren't completely off book, but you know they were able to add in little pieces here and there that like went with their personality or, you know, with the character's personality. And so we just allowed for that because it made it even better. And we expected that too. Um, Because I, I like, look at other, you know, very famous comedy directors like Adam McKay or Robert Townsend, who I'm very much inspired by. Um, And, you know, you just know that they're not just sticking to the script. I think Adam McKay described... His process on the movie Step Brothers with Will Ferrell. Um, Oh yeah,
1: hilarious. Yeah,
0: they 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 filmed like four hours of a movie, (laughs) like and (laughs) had to cut down to two and a half hours, and that's because they just improvised. And you know, the script is the bones, but you really put the people in place that are going to make that script come to life and make it even better. And so, and with comedy is hard. You just have to keep trying it out. It's just like stand-up. They keep rewriting their sets until it's ready for a special. You know, they keep trying it out on audiences until it's ready for a special.
1: Right, right. And so what do you think the biggest difference between, like, doing a movie, a short film like this, and doing, like, the TV stuff you were doing?
0: And I think the biggest difference is creative control. Like, yeah, right, yeah. literally, yeah. like, my... Um, you know, my heart, my mind, my everything, you know, that was unfiltered, you know. And I think um, doing producing and directing um, at a network, it's different in that you do know that you're subscribing to a certain brand, um, a brand identity that you have to adhere to. And um, not much flexibility because it's, I, I'm at a broadcast network so right, it's yeah. supposed to be uh, appealing to a broad base of people and so I feel like this film it, it it appeals to the right people it appeals to the people that it was intended to appeal to which is uh, black people <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was the, the most important thing um, to me because I just know that um, this is a story we, we had like, um, a mostly black, uh, and per- people of color crew. We had like almost all black cast. Like we wanted to make sure that we were doing this the right way and that it wasn't going to be, you know, um, a film about black people by white people. <laughs> like It was definitely a film about black right. people by black people and the subject matter especially needed that kind of care.
1: Oh, that, that's for sure. Because especially when you're tackling something like reparations, Uh, like what what, what was it about that planning the idea for it to be about reparations of all the things it could have been about? You know what I'm saying? Like, what was it that made you pick reparations as the topic?
0: Um, You know, I just feel like because um, of the presidential race and people dangling it and you know, using it as a bargaining chip. It was just a way to take the power back on the conversation of reparations. But also going in, we did a lot of research and um, we found a statistic like 70% of white people don't believe that black people deserve reparations or should receive it. And so we knew it was an uphill battle to kind of educate people in why it's necessary for one And I think that whenever you're approaching a hard subject like this, you can disarm people through comedy. And so I knew with um, this, I hadn't seen another comedy about reparations. I've seen a Chappelle sketch, but that's about it. And I didn't (laughs) really get to the, yeah. yeah. And I like the sketch. I think like that sketch is awesome, but it was just a sketch. And I think um, we never have seen like a a film um, that gets to the meat of it, you know, like on surface value, yeah, like the idea that people are still running their um, campaigns with reparations as like a, on their campaign platform, and it's been 400 years. It's like, just give it to us or, <laughs> you know, or just stop because this is kind of like something that exists in every black household. Everyone talks about reparations, everyone knows why it's needed. Um, and I think that we need to start. Um, making a case for ourselves on the main stage, you know, as Black people. uh, And that means through art as well. It's not just through, um, you know, policy and everything. Like, of course, policy is going to come into play. um, But I think through art, we can truly try to disarm people, educate people about what reparations is, because even to this day, a lot of people think reparations is just for black people, but it's really for any group of people that a crime has been committed against them. And we've seen other groups of people get reparations. Yeah, I was, I was like, about
1: to say that. Yeah. Just like. Exactly. Like other groups have. Yeah,
0: exactly. And it's like, why is it just, you know, black people who can't get it? You know?
1: Yeah. So how long have you lived in L.A.?
0: I've lived in l a for seven years, and it was the best decision I've made in my life and the worst decision I've made in
1: my life <laughs> so um, you, did you have like one of those um classic stores like you always see like you were a waiter and then you you know delivered pizzas or something like that like did the, they try know, to make it
0: I wish I feel like um what my thing is um I do a lot, meaning like uh in true like daughter of a Caribbean immigrant fashion, I'll have like three, three jobs at a time, (laughs) like that kind of stuff where, um, you know, it's not enough for me to just be working a nine to five. It's like, I want to do more, which is why I got into comedy producing and booking and, and now filmmaking. Um, I'm just trying to keep learning, keep growing keep developing my skills and so i uh, i can at any given time be like doing three jobs because of that <laughs> and then, so uh, yeah but what's the weird what's the weirdest
1: combination of jobs you you think you've had at the <laughs> okay, same time when i
0: first yeah when i first moved out here um i was an nbc page um and the page program is like this like strict rotational program at NBC where you have to do audience coordination for the Tonight show. And then on top of that, you're rotating in like internal departments. But at the same time I was working for a real estate agent that wanted to open up his own restaurant business. And he like, uh, basically was This rich dude who had like this big house in Manhattan Beach. And so I was like uh, making literally uh, $12 on the paid salary and then going (laughs) to work for this like millionaire. And it was just very stark, um, you know, in comparison. And, you know, I'm very much like uh, someone that doesn't like to see people who amass great amounts of wealth and then don't pay people well either (laughs) so yeah
2: yeah,
0: that was like my first introduction to LA where I was like wow like there is truly a you know wealth gap and there's truly you know inequality on major levels like why should I have to like work two jobs and one is for like this millionaire and and one for like a multi-billion dollar company as well (laughs) but I'm still working two jobs so yeah um but yeah, that was like probably one of the most interesting. But more recently, it's just, um, you know, working on things. I try to be more selective nowadays. I've learned my lesson. Oh, yeah. Um, you you so, got the lecture
1: you doing it now. You're working a little bit.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, recently, I, um, I helped out a couple of friends of mine um, who had the Comedy Central show, The New Negroes. Um, and so they essentially. Uh, right after the George Floyd uprisings, um, wanted to put out something that could help kind of the community heal a little bit. And they brought on like the leaders of Black Lives Matter. So I helped them. I was like the showrunner. I helped them with that show. I brought in all the talent. Um, I wrote out all of the episode topics. I directed it live. Like, so that to me was like um, something that was right up my alley because a lot of us were trying to figure out what was going on and what should we do. Right, and yeah. so bringing on some thought leaders in the black community was like truly healing. And um, I'm glad we got to make that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And that, and that was during COVID. So how, how has that affected like your workflow and what you do?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we're doing everything remote nowadays. So it's a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm used to seeing people in person um, and now I'm directing over Zoom, Uh, but (laughs) we adapt. That's got to be weird. Yeah, we have to. It's a little bit weird, but truly, like, it also helps in other ways because usually people who are, you know, Big name celebrities wouldn't even have the time of day, right. but now they're all stuck at home. Right, so I yeah, like, man, they got all kinds of time you have going on. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we we had like um Uzo Aduba from um Orange Is the New Black on that show. We nice. had Robert Townsend come on. That to me was like, oh my goodness! And we had Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters.
2: Wow.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. And so we got a lot of people that probably normally would be busy. So I was kind of <laughs> lucky in that sense. Um, is Ernie is Ernie Hudson
1: cool. known for Gust- Ghostbusters? That's his that's his big claim to fame. I mean, I, me, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I like I like the rappers because it's like you know I, I haven't heard nobody talk about Ghostbusters in a long time. And I loved him. I loved it in that movie, but I was just thinking like, yo, he did a lot of stuff, but you went straight to Ghostbusters. So, so, <laughs> he has like the longest IMDb
0: page yeah, there ever yeah, was. Yeah, he, He's he shows up so much. Yeah,
1: him. Yeah, um, him and who my man, uh, Makai Pfeiffer. He does the same thing. They just show up like every TV show mm-hmm. you got on TV. He just like. Where did this guy come from?
0: Yeah, and you know he's on. He was on Grace and Frankie, and so one of the co-hosts of the show, Baron Vaughn, he's also on Grace and Frankie. So it was just like, oh, oh that see, makes there you sense. let yeah. bring Ernie Hudson on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who references to Ghostbusters. <laughs> no, because I, 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 think...
1: I completely understood <laughs> you. So we we right there together, like that. <laughs> yeah, that would perfect says to be. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so so that's real. good. So you were saying about um, I interrupted you. <laughs> she was saying about uh, no. how COVID had changed around stuff. So you got so you do get an opportunity to meet like, uh, and you mentioned them before, um, Robert Townsend. But like, are these like your hero directors and like how was it getting to meet them and working with? I mean, them? he
0: was he was very humble, very cool. And honestly, like I'm saying he was my hero. He was literally everyone's hero on that shoot. (laughs) Um, but I think like he definitely inspired a generation of black directors. Um, and for that, you know, that's truly like heroic, you know, I think he showed the black experience in um, different lights, you know, because the black community isn't a monolith. We have so many different, you know, personalities, um, dreams, aspirations. Um, And I think, you know, Hollywood shuffle definitely um, inspired me with $16,000 for sure. Um, I think anyone who watches it would probably agree (laughs) because (laughs) we, we certainly had some, you know, moments in there and Brody as well, who like co-wrote the film, like there were moments in the scripts where I was like, yeah, that's definitely like something that could have been in Hollywood shuffle, but it's kind of like a progression from Hollywood shuffle in a sense where it's like, we took it, uh, one step further, um, you know, with reparations of course, but I think that, uh, the sentiments, the comedy, it's all there just like, uh, Robert Townsend
1: would have done maybe he'd be proud of the film if he got to see it oh <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sure somebody <laughs> gotta gotta slip it to him one day why while he, while right? <laughs> yeah so so how great. did how did you get this interest in movies like you mentioned like a, a few movies i'm a movie buff i love movies too uh we talk about a, a mm-hmm. lot about what's on tv on the podcast but <laughs> but but what was it that got you into thinking like i i, I can see myself doing that
0: you know, um I have to thank my mom because uh she bought me my first camcorder uh when I was a kid. Um, I think I was like end of middle school going into high school and I would um you know make short films with my friends and so wow. and they were you know, they're horrendous. <laughs> they weren't good. <laughs> but they're they're funny too. And I think, you know, I um I'm glad that I, you know, got to have that experience because I think from there on out that just became my passion. I worked for the local television statement or station um, as a volunteer, <laughs> so I, I would make like little public access TV shows in my old neighborhood, and um, and you know from there on out I uh, kept on making stuff, and you know it wasn't until you know this past year, like twenty nineteen before I was like, "Okay, I'm ready to make something that I'm going to present out to people you know that is like a scripted narrative and all that stuff, but I have been dabbling for quite a while, and so I just felt like it was time.
1: Give me a list of your favorite movies growing up,
0: yeah, um one of my favorites is misery uh oh
1: yeah, <laughs> I, I Cass- love misery, Kathy yeah. <laughs>
0: That is one of my all time favorites because it kind of crosses the line between um thriller and horror and even comedy in a lot of spots as well, and like watching it back, it's like there are little like breaths of fresh air in there that are really great that balances the film, but I think the performances were really amazing oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so that was definitely a favorite growing up. Um, outside of that, like I love, um, really dumb comedy movies too. So I mentioned (laughs) step Step brothers earlier. That's like one of my favorites, um, because it's just so stupid. And I think like with, (laughs) with comedy, sometimes you do want to just let go and laugh. And there are so many people making serious comedies nowadays. And I'm like, I just want to like, let go and laugh and let loose, you know, when I'm watching the comedy um yeah and i think like um on uh, the drama side i mean i just recently watched or rewatched the color purple which was obviously like a, oh, a household yeah. staple back in the d- you know we'd watch that all the time and i was just like looking back i'm like wow you know that was just such a well-crafted film and you know acting was incredible but also just like the fact that it was like the Steven Spielberg treatment for this yeah. film. It was like really great. So you know, lots of classics. Um, I love classic movies like Sound of Music as well. Um, you know, I get into my musical, <laughs> musical <laughs> comedy stuff too. But yeah,
1: no, nah, that's awesome, yo. So you're like a, a real like movie buff. Like like so, I I tell me this when you look at movies, are you looking more? <clears throat> to enjoy it or are you looking for at the technique of it i find myself doing that a lot i'm a printmaker, painter right mm-hmm. so anytime i see a painting i can enjoy it but i'm also spending a lot of time figuring out how they did it like i want to do yeah. you ever get to sit and enjoy a movie anymore like because you are thinking about it in that way
0: um i you know i am a tough critic i guess, like by my mom's standards meaning i I do pay attention to the technique, but I do enjoy films. I think the best films are the ones that make you forget that you're watching the film, you know? So if I can forget that I'm watching the film and I'm not paying attention to the technique, then it's a really good film. So one that I would say is a recent one. Um, Sorry to bother you. I love that film. It was, um, I don't know if you saw it. It was Boots Riley's directorial uh, debut. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now that yeah. that
1: was a weird movie. Yeah, me. but <laughs> it kept
0: so, you on your toes. Yeah, but
1: <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. It was off. Like, like it was. I spent the whole time wondering, like, you know, what is going on right now. Especially when they did, they had that one scene where they were going back and forth, like, "No, you got a good day, brother. No, you make sure you go have a great day." (laughs) It's like, what's happening? Oh
0: yeah, Jermaine Fowler, uh, also, um, you know, part of the LA comedy community too, and someone that. I booked on my shows and seeing him in that film, I was like so excited. And yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes where they're like going back and forth. Yeah. um, Trying to insult each other, (laughs) but not really. Um, But I think like that is one where I was like, I didn't know what to expect next. And so it kind of made me forget what was going on. But, you know, I, if there's, um, something like a cool shot or something, I have no problem. If I'm sitting at home, I'll rewind it and try to figure out how someone did it, you know, because I do like love to see innovation and people taking cool risks. And so I do try to like, see like, how did they do that? You know? So sometimes it's still i'm enjoying it but i'm like how did they do that one thing and so i'll go back and kind of like scrutinize to see how i can do it yeah, you know later yeah. on you gotta yeah. steal
1: steal like an artist show. that's what you're supposed to
0: do <laughs> <laughs> yep This is Jameel Richmond-Edwards. I'm a visual artist based in the DMV from the 7 Mile of Detroit, and you are listening
2: to
1: Studio Noise. So you submitted this movie and won uh, Best Narrative Short at the 2020 Pan-African Film Festival, Best Comedy Short at the Queens World Film Festival. So... Like since this mm-hmm. was your movie, something you conceived and you you felt like you had like a great sense of ownership to it. It sounds like you do, and like how yeah. how nerve wracking was it to give your baby out to the world and trying to submit it to these people and 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 try to get it seen all over the world?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I honestly was terrified <laughs> at the first <laughs> festival, which was the Pan African Festival. Um, because I knew going in, I was like, this is, like, the biggest black film festival there is um, in the U.S. And Danny Glover founded that festival. And so all these things going in, I was like, oh, no, like, this is also at the old Magic Johnson Theater. And that <laughs> place super is notorious. Black, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, people they'll let me know if they don't like this. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, So that was a little nerve wracking, but I was just very pleased, you know, once it was going and we were the only comedy in our film block. So like a lot of people needed like that breath of fresh air anyway, Um, but to hear the laughter in real time, because with this film, I watched it so many times through the process of post-production That I was like, I don't even know if this is funny anymore because I've heard the jokes over (laughs) and over and over. Yeah. So hearing people who are watching it for the first time, it was really cool because every joke was hitting for them and they're really enjoying it. People were like literally shouting, like being like all excited about stuff. Like, you know how we do it. it. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like I expected, uh, but the the good version of what I expected, because it could have went the opposite. But I think, um, yeah, it was great. And I definitely did not expect um, to win that festival. It was literally the first festival we were at. And so that was really exciting. Um, I did not prepare any kind of speech or anything at the awards brunch, <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, I'm just grateful for that experience because I think um, I couldn't have asked for any um, better experience going into my directorial debut. Um, and then every subsequent festival, we were under lockdown for COVID. Oh, so yes, I, didn't, yes. I was just lucky to have that one in-person experience. <laughs> 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 and then everything else has been online since then. But yeah. Still very grateful for the Pan African Film Festival. That was a great time.
1: Nice. So what kind of do you do you are you looking for feedback? Do you check for it? Like, you know, are you on Twitter and, and trying to see like who saw the movie and this kind of stuff?
0: You know, I um I have had a lot of people reach out to me about it, um, and tell me how much they liked it. Also, like I saw we got a couple reviews on Letterbox, um, which I didn't even know it was an app until like maybe a couple of months ago, but people were like ecstatic about it, like talking about, you know, how excited they were for it, hoping that they get to see, nice. you know, more of this. So I think using that momentum, we're going to try to um, as a group like me, Brody and Ellington, we'll try to pitch it around as a TV show, because I think a lot more can be done with just, you know storytelling um in this kind of post reparations world so yeah i think it will be interesting we'll see how that goes but lots of energy behind it and lots of people who resonated with it so i would love to share some more of it with people that's awesome
1: that's good to see that's good to see is it Mm going to be somewhere where people can like get to it easy like amazon or or you know netflix or anything yeah i mean
0: Hopefully, um, you know, it'll all depend on distribution. Uh, but I think that we, we still have a few more months of festivals to do. We haven't really hit that year mark yet. Um, but after that year mark, we'll definitely be pursuing distribution. Um, but also I think that we'll be pitching it around and seeing just like, maybe we can just expand on this and, um, you know, it will be probably like years in the making. But, <laughs> but at that point, I think um, we'll have an, a great understanding about what works for audiences and like what other topics, you know, that are timely that people would want to see on screen wow. um, yeah. in relation to the black community. Because, yeah, I think everything's just kind of lined up with reparations, um, but there's so much more to tell you know for different black experiences so i'm excited to dive into that
1: nice and and, and i can't believe i didn't ask this question because the movie is, is about money but how did you end up financing the movie because because you always hear about people doing GoFundmes and these capital campaigns and all this other stuff
0: mm-hmm. to get
1: money for films how did you manage to get your film made yeah um well
0: we did some crowdfunding, for sure. Uh, That was probably more difficult than making the actual film. Uh, But we, yeah, we were able to raise uh, quite a bit of money um, through Seed&Spark, which is this crowdfunding platform specifically for um, minority groups or people who are underrepresented in the film industry, and they just walk you through it. They're really great. They're run by a couple um, women who really want people to succeed Um, and so they're selective about who gets the you know launch on their platform but they have all these stipulations in place just to make sure people will succeed and so I really felt like that was the best avenue to go especially as like a, a black filmmaker because other platforms might have a bigger name, but this one actually was like, hey, we're going to walk you through and make sure you're successful. So, yeah. But on top of that, um, we did receive a grant, too. Um, and, you know, I think overall, I didn't have to go the Robert Townsend route of putting this all on a credit card. I only put a little <laughs> bit on a credit card. <laughs> Not the whole film. But, right, yeah. You know, I, I think like it is. At the end of the day, it was my responsibility to make sure it was completed and um, and I was going to make sure it got over the finish line. But I'm still very grateful for all the people who pitched in um, to make this happen because you know, they all wanted to see reparations <laughs> play out as well, <laughs> apparently. Um, and so I'm just glad that um, people really came to that for us and uh, opened their wallets and uh, a lot of people... I know they got to see it afterwards and felt like they were a part of it.
1: Nice. Nice. So I'm going to jump back yeah. a little bit and talk more a little bit about like, um, your comedy career and your comedy like scene, right? Cause you mentioned, uh, uh quite a mm-hmm. few times about how much, uh, y'all know, you kind of know all of these people, You're booking shows and doing all this work. What does that scene like mm-hmm. in LA? Like describe it for somebody like, you know, that living in Atlanta, and that's an artist.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, like, and the best way I can also describe it is, like, um, uh, being from Pittsburgh, like, a lot of people only saw comedy as, like, oh, it's at the improv, you know, and, and that's it, and that's where I'm going to go and pay for a comedy show, but um, in L.A., you could literally go see someone like Lil Rel or um, Hannibal Buress at a taco stand. Oh, wow. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and so... Um, the LA like comedy scene exists outside of the mainstream clubs. Um, there's lots of people who are just trying to work out their material and will, you know, are doing shows, um, for relatively like for free because it's like practice for them. It's like, um, rehearsal time essentially. So what I was doing was, um, producing shows where, I knew people were like practicing for their late night sets or practicing for their comedy special that was coming out. And so making sure I just packed an audience for them so they could try it out. And it was a lot of fun to do. Of course, right now we can't do anything in person. Oh but, yeah, yeah. Um, it's got
1: to be rough. Now. Yeah. Oh, well, matter of fact, I is Kelly is that league still on a lockdown for like large gatherings? Yes. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. We're very much still locked down, and so yes, the comedy scene has suffered because of that. Um, but you know, I know people are doing virtual shows and stuff, but it's just not the same as like being out in real life, and yeah. it really feels yeah. like a community. You know when when we were doing it and so i had or i have been like booking shows for five years where i had a weekly show and i also had a monthly show at the same time (laughs) for some (laughs) weeks i'd have two shows um but one of them that i was doing was literally in the back of a pizza shop and so (laughs) people would pack in uh we'd get like you know, I think the room could really only hold, like, 50 people, maybe 60, like, sardines. But people <laughs> would pack in. It was definitely a fire toad violation. <laughs> but so we had people where it's, like, Nicole Byer from
2: um, Nail yeah. It on
0: Netflix. Yeah. Um, we had people like Sashir Zameda, who was on SNL, um, you know, like really really great people that really had no business being in the back of a <laughs> pizza shop um, but people would come out for it and it was like a regular thing people were just like oh friday night i'm gonna go to the sano pizza bakery and wow. see all my favorite comics and you know maybe kick in five bucks but it wasn't like super um super structured or strict it was just like you know a good time.
1: Wow, so you got to see all of these people like before they like got into their gigs, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How mm-hmm. How is that for yeah. you?
1: Like that's gotta be feel amazing. I,
0: yeah, and I think like I saw my role as like um of servant to the kind of the co- the comedians because I knew that stage time is a luxury, especially out here. There's a lot of comedians who are trying <laughs> oh, yeah. to get up on stage, yeah. And I wanted to make sure that you know they had a good crowd of people to watch them and it was kind of like uh it was cool it's like almost like um you know everyone needs someone in the wings who's gonna kind of help to nurture a career like make sure that you know they're doing their part to you know see someone who's really talented really truly make it and so I saw you know me doing that is like I was volunteering essentially to do this and um it was a lot of fun for me because yeah, I'd see people who their comedy would like improve greatly and then like the next year they got a big role or they got, you know, something that was gonna progress um in their careers. Right, yeah. And just knowing like, you know, I got to have a hand in it and it was really cool. So yeah.
1: So have you developed like a, a eye for like the good ones, like the greats? Oh, as they of say? course,
0: of course, yeah. I think the first time, um, the first time I saw Jermaine Fowler in L.A., uh, mm. I was like, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna be on TV soon." <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and then, sure enough, he was like literally on TV the next year. And now he's playing Eddie Murphy's son in the new coming to America. Oh yeah, and yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, "Yeah, he's definitely." Destined to make it because he was just really, really talented. um And yeah, sometimes it's easy to pick people out like that. Sometimes you're really surprised and someone like improves greatly over the course of like a couple of years, and you're like, wow, they really put in the hard work that they needed to put in. And you know, comedy is not easy. It's a basically a gig that you're getting rejected every single night. You know, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think like. You know, you have to have a tough skin um, and some people rise to the occasion and you definitely get to see that in real time.
1: Funny you you mentioned Nicole Byers. She's one of my favorites. I listen to her podcast, too. And and I can't imagine her uh, just being regular as funny as she no, is she, you know what i'm saying it's like she was, all, yeah. she was
0: always great
1: yeah she yeah, she's, she's, <laughs> has this like real normal kind of funniness like that you know eddie murphy had the same way like eddie murphy he wouldn't even mm-hmm. do anything he just you just bust out laughing i don't know you know I, yeah I, most people won't compare her to eddie murphy of course but i i think she's why is, not is we should yeah. compare <laughs> yeah
0: we should compare she's she has always been so funny um always like she was someone that I'd book and I'd get so excited because I was like, she's the headliner. She's going to kill it. People are going to like go nuts. Like she's always been that way. And so everything that's like happening for her, um, now like is so well-deserved. I'm so, you know, proud of her. I'm like, Oh, you know, that's like Nicole that was, um, in the back of the pizza shop or in the back of the comic (laughs) book shop, you know? But she definitely definitely made a name for herself and you know, that's really cool to see.
1: So as the organizer were you there with the tissues when they really like bombed? (laughs) you
0: know if anyone went to go cry they didn't let me see it (laughs) but um yeah you have to have a tough skin, and i know there's some you know nights that are really rough because you just never know like you can have an off night and one mistake in a set can really turn the whole thing to make it bad um So I've seen really good comedians bomb, you know, just as much as bad comedians bomb. It's just like, (laughs) it's a process. Like, um, then they'll come back and their joke will be written a little bit differently. And then it's belly laughs. Like, it's sometimes like one word or two words change out and like, then it, it works. And so that's why they were, you know, getting the stage time so that they could practice that and see an audience's reaction because it some slight tweaks can really make all the difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so do you see yourself like staying in, in this comedy realm? Cause it seems like you really enjoy it and like you, you're good at it.
0: Yeah. And I, it's something that um, was a surprise because I think when I first moved out to LA, I was just trying to figure out what's a cheap thing I can do. And so <laughs> I started going to, these little comedy shows literally at the taco stand or other places and, um, and then saw that there was a need because, um, you know, there weren't a lot of people who were just willing to be comedy show bookers without being comedians. But to me, I feel like that's necessary because you need, you know, someone who can run the show, um, without trying to get stage time. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I, essentially, I filled that need. Um, and, it was a great time. I met a lot of cool people um, through the process, and of course, like um, now, it's paying off in the sense that, like, as I start developing myself and what I want to do with my filmmaking, like, I know that I can pull from a lot of great, talented people to be in my projects, which is really awesome. Um, and I think that they're definitely now like I saw that there's a need in the comedy space for producers now I'm seeing like there's a need in the comedy space for directors as well because Um, because now like comedic timing, like I've watched so many people's sets that I can tell when stuff is working, when it's not working. Um, and so being nimble on set and having people try different things and understanding, they all like know that I get it because I've seen them perform many, many times. They're not nervous around me, but I think like, um, it's just cool because I, I can tell, like, if I'm not laughing, like, muffled under my breath laughing on set, then it's not funny, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm, uh, And I think the comedians are used to getting a reaction as well, and, you know, I am not afraid to let them know that, like, <laughs> I'm laughing, you know? Like, but they can look and see me and see, like, if I'm cracking up, then that's kind of, like, rewarding for them as well to know that they did something great.
1: Man, so, yeah, yeah, you you got a super fun job. Like <laughs> I couldn't imagine just going and <laughs> getting to laugh and have a good old time like this whole time. But I'm sure it's mad stressful too. Like trying to get all the people together, make sure you get all your shots. You only got four days, you know, with the equipment and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm sure you you go through it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it
0: pays off though. So I think um, you know we put ourselves through these things because we know that something great can come out of it. And so I think in this case. We definitely achieved something that we're all proud of and um, that's funny. And I think that's like the most important thing. And now that I've been through um, almost 13 festivals now, like now I can see, okay, I have a place in this, you know, festival world. I have a place as a director now um, and as a comedy director. So I don't see if, if I'm good at it, then I guess I don't really need to change anything up and switch to drama i think i'm married to the comedy of it all <laughs> as, as
1: of now so yeah no nah, that, that should be super fun so actually this mm-hmm. question this is this is um a little little off topic but i, I think it's, it mm-hmm. fits right in the same thing where you when you're talking about creating and i know youtube is like a big thing for comedians now where people are putting their sets on youtube or making clips and letting it go viral you know what i'm saying and getting attention like that mm-hmm. um Where do you, where do you stand on that in terms of, of content creation? Like, like, uh, do you see that as a way that people can get into the business and kind of build up to get where you are?
0: Um, I do see that as a way, um, I think like that is almost harder for me to like, because I, I don't want to necessarily put out something that someone else can copy right away or like that it's not fully developed, you know? And I think going through the process of doing the festivals and everything really taught me a lesson on, like, you know, this is something you created that not everyone um, has the right to see right away. And, like, there should be kind of, like, a barrier, um, you know, so people appreciate your art a little bit more. And so there's still, like, a – there's still – great benefits to having platforms like YouTube, um, especially for people who are personalities, you know, like I, I'm personally like behind the camera. Um, and so for me, it's not as important to be like, I need to get this out right now. You know, um, for me, it's more like my craft and I definitely paid more attention to, you know, how am I presenting this to the world? Um, but with YouTube you have to pump out content constantly like it's right. you yeah. know that's the name of the game it's like you do have to have stuff on a regular basis and that's just a whole nother beast and I think that's great for comedians like I see it working for people who are um, in front of the camera talent um, more so than people behind the camera talent because if you're behind the camera like um, you know someone might watch something you do but it might not resonate as much unless they see, Oh, well they got into this festival or that festival. Like right. people yeah, are very yeah, much, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. It's gotta yeah, be in a right context. Very,
0: exactly. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't knock YouTube. I love YouTube. That's where I go <laughs> for like everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like for me personally, like I think I appreciated, um, what I, what I was making more be, by, right. by going through this process because I was like, okay, well, this is how I'm presenting it to the world this is my first directorial debut and so I was gonna treat it in a more special way because of that
1: right right and and that makes sense because um it's funny because when I do think of la that's what I think about it's like the the people like that be on YouTube and they always got all those like funny like five minute video jokes sketches um like who who's known yeah them? like big job like it, it just seemed to be like a group of them that are together and they're all in each <laughs> other's videos and they all like this one yeah. house in LA where they go oh, and no, make all these true. videos. And so, yeah, there so,
0: are YouTuber houses and, yeah. <laughs> TikTok houses and everything else. Exactly. Like, so they, yeah, they just yeah. go out there
1: and, and make content. And I think, yeah, mm-hmm. is it, is it, do you think that LA is going to keep that prestige about it? Like since you are doing everything remotely, do people have to move to LA to do that kind of stuff anymore? Like, you can do it basically anywhere. I would think. I don't know. I'm asking you. You're the expert.
0: No, I think, like, other cities, um, I mean, for one, Atlanta, like, having the new Tyler Perry Studios and everything like that, like, I think um, we're going to see more of a segmentation of the TV and movie industry than we've ever had before because, you know, we're very limited in what we can do here in L.A. right now. And so, I think once more productions start moving out of the city, like other places are really going to become hubs just like LA is. And so, um, and of course like other, like I have had shoots in Toronto and, um, I've had shoots in like Vancouver, Albuquerque, like there are studio lots like everywhere, (laughs) you know, it's just, um, a matter of like where's the cheapest or do they have the capabilities um, as what I would have in LA. And so, so long as like they're up to speed and they're providing, you know, filmmakers um, with what they need. I see no reason why we can't, you know, allow for more segmentation of the TV and film business, you know, people can shoot anywhere really.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so as we like get close to the end here, what do you, What advice would you give to somebody that kind of sees you what you're doing, enjoys it, like can imagine themselves making a film? What advice would you give like a young Simone about to make her way to LA to, to do her thing?
0: <laughs> I would say um, patience is key. Um, you know, I think when we talk about how to make it there's no one way Uh, there's so many different ways that you can break into doing this kind of work Um, and I think like for anyone who wants to get into specifically comedy directing like it's super super easy to start just producing comedy shows as long as you're like a reliable person showing up is half the battle (laughs) and I think um yeah I think like that's usually not a typical route people take, but um, it's important to kind of get to know the people that you're going to be wanting to work with um, right. later yeah. on. So, yeah. yeah, I'd say that's a big, you know, tip that I stumbled upon, but it turns out it works out. So, <laughs> I think um, anyone who's interested in comedy um, directing or even producing could start at the stand up show level. Um, and, yeah. Uh, other than that, like you said, YouTube, great resource. You know, you don't even have to go to film school. You can go oh, on YouTube yeah. and kind of yeah, see YouTube what people University. are doing. Exactly. So, you know, that's really great for the next generation coming up to really have that as a tool and a resource because you can literally find a tutorial on anything on there. Um, yeah, there's no need to graduate with a film degree or anything. You can make films um, Without
1: going through all that. So, yeah. So, do you, you think is it is more like a talent, like to be able to do what you do, like that, than rather than uh, something you need to go learn at a university or something like that? Like, we talk about that a lot about, um, all right, well, I'm, I'm getting my master's in, in, in printmaking now. And so, I often mm-hmm. think about whether or not it was necessary if I needed it, or if like I could learn basically the same thing by, you know, putting in the effort
0: yeah I mean it's not like I say that because I guess school is not for everyone and um truly like filmmaking was always seen as like kind of a trade in the past Mm -hmm. and so it was really interesting once they started making it um like a major in college and truly like when you're on set what you're doing is like more of like something that is a trade something that like a lot of these positions are in unions they're like union Mm -hmm. jobs and so like for that reason I say like if you get on sets and you can or you can learn you know by shadowing people and that kind of stuff like you can do that of course if you want to go the route of working at like a company um having the degree is important but it doesn't mean it has to be a film degree um you know I personally did not graduate with a film degree but was able to intern and do other things to get that experience um over time but you know I'm all about education too. so I'm not saying don't go to school. <laughs> I'm just saying um, you don't have to go to film school to work in TV like you could right. um, you could figure that out by shadowing people going on sets and interning and everything else and um, so yeah, there's so many different avenues to get to the same end point is essentially what I'm saying.
1: Oh no, that's for sure. I want all my doctors yeah. to go to school. And that's the, yeah. you know like that. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, need, yeah, I don't need all my comedy filmmakers <laughs> to be like out of Yale or something like that. So I, yeah. I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. for sure. So it's been great talking to you. Um, congratulations on yeah. the movie, the short film. You know, I can't wait to be able to see it uh, when it when it does make some um, distribution out there where where people can get their hands on it. Um, yeah. And where can they find you?
0: Um, you can find me on Instagram at Simone Jet and on Twitter at Simone de Beauvoir. And so <laughs> basically, I'm, I'm not making it easy. I'm not making it easy on anyone. <laughs> um, but actually, if anyone wants to just follow the film pages, it's at 16K Film on every platform. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was such a wonderful conversation. And, oh, for sure. Um, you know, I'll send you a link to the film. You don't have to wait. <laughs> <get it> okay. <laughs> thank, <to you.
1: laughs> thank you, thank you. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I see, I
1: see why they like you out there in <laughs> the comedy club. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much, you. Thank you. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Want to make sure we give a big shout out and congratulations to the 2020 Horizon Award winner in film, Miss Simone Baptiste. All the way in LA doing your thing, girl. The movie was hilarious. I loved it. Make sure I can't wait for everybody else to get a chance to see it uh when it come out. You know what I'm saying? We got uh, fingers crossed, we always support you and pray you get that good distribution, <laughs> get that good, get that good money. You know what I'm talking about? So that's that's all. <laughs> so that's what's up with that. And of course, make sure y'all go over to mbaf.org. Uh check out all the information about the horizon award winners and what the MBF is doing. Um, Please give you support. And we're going to support these organizations that support us, the black artists that's out here making the noise just for you. And if you like what you hear right here on the Studio Noise podcast, we got a huge archive, 100 episodes that you can go check out. Uh, You can head over to studionoisepodcast.com, but we're available wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, all all that good stuff. And if you like it, why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button? And, you know, if you really like it, go ahead and write us one of them five-star reviews. Get us pumped up in the charts. Let everybody know about the noise. And then you ever want to send us a message or, you know, catch up with us on IG, you can head over to at Studio Noise Podcast and check us out. You can shoot us an email at podcast at gmail.com. You can catch up with my co-host who is, they couldn't join us for the day, but she's here in spirit, Miss Jiggy Jazz at niggers.supreme. Don't forget that dot. And you can follow your boy, Jay Barber at J Barber Studio on all your social medias. And all my artists out there, I want you to know this art grind is a rolling, not a stopwatch. It don't never stop. It never stops. You know, COVID nineteen or whatever it is, you got to keep going because you know that your your purpose as a creative being is to get in there and make that painting. You get in there, you make that mural, you make that sculpture, you make that film whatever you do you get in that studio and make some noise make sure they hear you it's the noise baby studio noise we'll be back with more episodes pretty soon make sure you check us out the studio noise baby peace